This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. Uh, let me bring in Don Robertson, the owner, operator, president, coach, trainer, masseuse, and a variety of other things with the Dundas Real McCoys Senior A hockey team, as well as the um, the head of Com Choice. Well, the head. What are you with Don, Com Choice? The, 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 the what's your title with Com Choice Realty? Owner, owner, okay. Broker owner. of record. Broker of record. That's what I was trying to think of. Okay, yes. Yeah. So. Uh, by the way, the Dundas Real McCoys season is, um, they have your, you have your first game coming up on Friday. First home game. opener. First home game. You won your first game, but you have your first home game. We won our first game, and our home opener is the Harry Hall Arena this Friday night at 8 o'clock. That is the arena up at the corner of Highway 6. Go up towards Guelph and Highway 5. Take a left. It's just about across the street from Tim Hortons up there. Yeah, it's about a 9-iron from the corner stoplight. Well, 9-iron for you. <laughs> It's about two good three irons for me. Have you been watching any of the World Series, by the way? I, wa- I was watching it last night and flipped to something else when it was 6-1. I go thinking, well, this one's over. Yeah, you, I guess 12 hours later it was. Yeah, well, that's about it, five and a half hours. But, you know, what really strikes me about this, because I, I was watching game two, which was an unbelievable game. that been some great games. It's been great games. But I was watching game two, and I made the mistake of going to bed thinking it was done, and woke up in the morning and went, what? Five five home runs, six home runs after the ninth inning? It was insane. So this time, I didn't watch the start. My wife and I were watching something on TV, and after we're done, I flip over to the game, and I guess Houston was making their comeback the first time, and I said, you know, I've learned my lesson. I've learned my lesson. I'm going to stay up. Well, that's why I'm so tired today, but, but worth it. It's been a phenomenal World Series. Well, they're using Indian rubber balls, which always creates more havoc. Man, it's the, the, it, the ball's flying. The, the offense is all over the place. Interesting. You know, interesting. You remember, Don, the game four of the 1993 World Series. The Blue Jays won 15-14 over the Philadelphia Phillies. I don't know if you remember that game. Todd Stottlemyre was pitching at one point. He went to slide headfirst into third base and yes. l- slid his chin along the, uh, well, yeah. along the dirt and had a big gash on his chin. But I remember after that game, so many of the baseball purists, and I often am a baseball purist, but so many of the baseball purists were writing the next day about how this was horrible for the game. This was horrible baseball. You can't have a 15-14 World Series game. That's ridiculous. Now, they're saying last night's game was one of the greatest games ever played. I th- 13-12. You can be the purest guy in the world, whether it's baseball, football, hockey, whatever it is. The bottom line is, if it's an entertaining game, it's a success. Don't worry about if both guys throw no hitters going into the ninth, and somebody gives up a tater. At, you know, to that's end one the game. way to be entertaining. That's one way to be entertaining, and it can be fourteen, fifteen. It can be twelve, thirteen. Who cares? As long as there's lots going on, and everybody's talking about it. Yep. If it's ten-one, nobody's talking about the game today. No. It's if you are scared to leave your seat to go to the bathroom because you're going to miss something. Yes. You know things are going well as far as the entertainment value. And that's what's been happening in this World Series. So then you have to make a decision. How much trouble are you in if you wait yourself <laughs> on the couch? or you? No, that's why we have PVRs now. Hit pause. You can stop the TV and not miss anything. But here's the problem I'm having with what baseball is doing. They have, and, and this has been an issue of mine for a long, long time, but I think it's coming to bite them right now. You have three or four, I can't remember how many now, games in the World Series that are being played on the weekend. Why in the world are you starting a game at 8 o'clock on a weekend night? So that how many 
millions, literally millions of kids who might have otherwise been dragged to the TV set or found the TV set and been interested in this and maybe found a bit of a love for one of those teams or just for baseball were in bed for four hours before this thing ended. Why would you not start this on a weekend? Not the weeknights. I understand the weeknights. You can't do anything about that. But on the weekend, why not start at four? Well, the West Coast is 5 o'clock, so they don't want to start them at 4 on the West Coast. They right? play so, 1 o'clock games in their home time frame all the yeah. time. There's and no- the World Series, it's not like if you got World Series tickets, you go, oh, geez, i got to work the 4.30, I'll never make the game. You're going but to the But it's weekend. Game. I'm only talking about the I weekends. Understand. Only on the weekends. So you could have had Saturday and maybe, Sunday. Maybe, maybe they want to play Sunday nights at 8 o'clock to stay away from the NFL. Maybe. That means you're... That means you're scared of the NFL and I wouldn't be with the World Series. Their rating now it was an interesting crazy game yesterday, but their ratings yesterday, their overnight ratings killed the NFL Sunday night game. The World Series game blew the NFL Saturday Sunday night game out of the water. Now the NFL Sunday night game wasn't exactly loaded with stars. No, and but the it should. It's a World Series it should if you're going to beat the NFL and so you should be able to go head to head with them. Saturday I have no clue. I mean, people aren't going to care if they're watching the game Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock in California, right? They don't care on Saturday. But I think I think what they do, they must, I mean, they got smarter guys than me thinking about this, but they want consistency. So they all start at the same time. I suppose consistency is one thing, but I... They don't I get, do it throughout the year, though. No, it's not consistent throughout the year. It's 1 o'clock starts, 4 o'clock starts, 2 o'clock starts, 7 o'clock starts, 8 o'clock starts. Yeah, of course. I just look at this and I think how many people, especially younger people who may not already be baseball fans, baseball is doing very well with young people. Look at the Jays crowds when you look down at Rogers Center and see who's actually in the stands. They have a young audience. Baseball is doing okay. But I'm talking even a step below that. There's no kid, well, very few, who were 10, 9, 8, who were up at 1.30 in the morning, whatever it was, to watch the end of that game. Well, you're talking about, and rightfully so, developing new fans, getting people interested in the game, not losing a generation, blah, 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 right? You're, that's what sure, you're of course. I'll look at it from a, an angle I, I'm becoming sadly more familiar with. I don't want to watch baseball, baseball to 1230 at night. Well, there's, yeah. So you're losing the other end of it. Uh, I was just no, I'm in tip-top shape and I can stay up till 2 in the morning. But some guys my age can't. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, right. I mean, I'm not... I, I'm Sorry, if you can't see Don because we're on the radio, his tongue is firmly planted <laughs> in his cheek. It's about to poke right through right now. Oh, but I like going to bed at 10 o'clock at night. So if they start at 8, like the 6-1 lead, I'm going, well, this, you're one's, gone. this one's done. You're gone. But you're going to lose, my point is, you're going to lose just as many at the end as you are at the start, I mean, from a generational standpoint. On a Sunday night, if you have to work on a Monday, a night. if you have to work on a Monday morning, even if it's a great game, a lot of people are going, okay, you know what? It's midnight. I got to go. Yeah. I, I can't do this. I got to be gone. And so it may, it just makes no sense to me. I completely understand on a weeknight, you're not going to start the game at five or six or four because, you know, there's traffic. People can't get to the stadium. There's all, there's all kinds of considerations. It's a World Series. They get there. I'm telling you. They would, although your TV ratings would be tougher. I grant you your TV ratings are going to be tougher on a weeknight when people are still at work. So, but even if you started at 7 as opposed to 8, but whatever. But on the, it just makes no sense to me that you aren't taking advantage of your weekend dates to say, let's make this as as available to people as possible. And you know what? There have been years when it hasn't made a difference. There's been years when the World Series has not been enthralling. 
like any championship. Yeah, there's been say, there's yeah. been championships in every sport. I mean, for a number of years there, the Stanley Cup Finals was four game sweeps year after year. It went about five years in a row. They had four game sweeps. Yeah. I mean, who cares? Wake me up. I when I was a kid, the deal was when I was really young. The deal was my dad would wake me up with five minutes left in the third period if a team was about to win the cup. And I'd groggily come out of bed and I'd watch the cup get presented. Maybe that's what's going to happen to kids now. See, two got- in the morning. You want to see the World Series finish? Dad's going to wake you up at two in the morning to say, come on, get up. Here we go. They're going to win. Well, as an 11-year-old, I got to stay up for the last time Toronto. And I watched George Armstrong shoot it in the empty net and black and white TV. And I wonder what time of day that was that it ended. I bet you, without with TV the way it was, without as many commercials, I bet you that was probably about 10.30 at night. Yeah, I was going to say, it wasn't very late. Like, it wasn't overtime. Obviously, empty net goal. That was a little redundant. It just is, to me, a missed opportunity for baseball. It is, on both sides. Well, for... Again, and he, older and, people yeah. aren't staying oh, up till yeah. 1 o'clock in the morning, I'm telling you. And when you look at this, I understand that the networks may love the idea of primetime baseball all the time. But even the networks, to me, it seems you can't be gaining much from having so many people bail on the end of the game because they have to go to bed or they just do go to bed. Well, you know, the the, the, the pregame shows are starting early. You know, on all the sports stations, the guys that are carrying it, they're starting early. So they got all that, just like the Super Bowl pregame that starts at 4.30 in the morning or whatever they start at now. Right, so they got all day, but they've got lots of time to do it. But you're right, the meat and potato of the thing, it's it's got to be network driven. Well, got to be prime time, and that's where they get the most revenue. And I suppose that if you're the network, you're saying, okay, look, if we have if we have a great game, let's say we start at four, and we have a game like last night that goes till nine. If things work out really well. More people have jumped in, and we have a bigger audience in yeah. the prime time. But if things go really sour, wow. and they tune out, like you say, it's seven to one early in the game, and we're gone, and the game has started at four, and we're out by five. You've lost your prime time audience, and they're they're couching their bets, they're hedging their bets that we're going to get a bigger audience at the start than at the finish. Yeah, but the interesting thing is now with a great game with social media the way it is, and you tweet something out or. You know how the scores can pop up live on Facebook, and if you're if you're not in, engaged in the game or you're not paying any attention to it, you see it go. Holy crap! That's that's a, maybe I should. I'm going to flip this game on now. Didn't have that in the old days. Now their that's, viewership can bounce point. around based on the game because of social media. Good point. Unless it's so late that everyone's gone to sleep and they're not following their social media. That's. Hence, they shouldn't start at 8 o'clock. And I'm questioning, okay, so what's too late now? If you start at 8, every World Series game, except for the first one, but even in general, every World Series game is now three and a half hours long. So you're now talking about 11.30 to end on a good night. Yeah. Probably closer to midnight. How many people are actually still, if they're not watching the game, how many are on their social media at 11.30 on Sunday night? And how many have tuned in, tuned out for the night and the phone is off, and they would never see that anyway. That's that's the problem you're having. Yeah, I mean, you'll pick it up earlier. You're right. When you're done, you're done. And the other thing is with the World Series, and what makes them drag on for three and a half hours is pitching uh, changes. They walk out. They get their 15 minutes of fame. Right? <laughs> Everything is more calculated. The 
But it's okay. it seems okay in the World Series because generally when that happens, it is there's okay. so much drama involved in it that you're okay with it. Not in the not in game 96 of the regular no. season in mid-August. Nobody wants to watch your fix your bat and gloves in game 96. No, but if you're up to bat and the tying runs on second and it's game five of the World Series and it's in the eighth inning, you're like, oh, you know, you build the sense of... Yeah. So it, I didn't say it was wrong. I just I was identifying one of the reasons that they take forever to they do. play. For They're sure. more interesting because it's a World Series, but it takes forever. I would love to think that baseball would learn. Well, not even baseball. That the it's baseball with the networks that they would learn from this and say, you know what? Let's 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 try next year. We obviously can't put all our eggs in one basket. They're not going to change everything, but let's try next year. On Saturdays, if we have a World Series game on Saturday, we won't even go head-to-head with the NFL. Let's try Saturday as an afternoon game. And, you know, it would actually even help the teams then, potentially, because if there was then a game on Sunday that was at night, you would give a little more time for the players to recover. They'd probably love that. Well, Let's bet. try and see what happens with our ratings. That, that, that's great for the Sunday game, unless the Friday game goes to one thirty in the morning. Fair enough. I mean, there's lots of different things here, but I, I would just love to see them try because I really believe that it would not hurt them. I really believe it would not hurt them. Let me ask you this because you usually ask the questions, but you're the sports genius. Uh, L.A.'s... That's what I keep telling my wife, anyway. It's, <laughs> <laughs> she probably at the point she hardly believes anything you say anymore. That's, that's probably true, too. Uh, what happened to the the thing that was supposed to be the difference in the World Series, and that was L.A.'s bullpen? They, they, uh, they looked really tired. They hadn't given up a run since the middle of April. They look really tired, and the starting pitching has not been great, which meant they've got more tired. You Darvish was not very good. Yeah, uh, Clayton Kershaw did not last as long as you would have liked him to, which means more use. And then inexplicably, I mean, remember when Brandon Morrow was yep. a member of the Blue Jays? Yeah, wanted and, to be a starter. And he was a starter, but what was the problem? And Brandon Morrow's the guy, the pitcher who was out there yesterday, who gave up four runs on six hits and uh, on six pitches and really turned things around. What was the knock? What was the problem with Brandon Morrow when he was here? Do you remember? Wasn't tall enough. <laughs> he, when he was good, he yes. was great. I remember one game he had either seventeen or eighteen strikeouts. Yeah, yeah I do. Remember, he yes. was, but the problem is he's diabetic, and that the all the knock always was that he wears down because. You know, whether uh, I'm not a doctor, I don't have a degree in diagnosing diabetes, but it's always that, you know, you're, you're, it takes longer for your body to recover. It's Your body is different. You don't have to know, Scott. They've got enough experts I, around the L.A. Dodgers that they can for make sure. that call. But they've pitched him five out of six days. Five out of six days. And if you're a guy who, when he was a starter with the Blue Jays, if you recall, he would break down. You're five, thinking, yeah. throwing a guy that much who has recovery issues, it seems, always has in his career, is asking an awful lot. So the answer to your question is they've just, they've been overworked. They've overworked certain guys, and it finally has blown up. And it means that, like, now the day off is going to help, but the Dodgers, man, the Dodgers, Rich Hill is pitching for them tomorrow against Justin Verlander. They need Hill to throw six or seven innings. There's no way that the Dodgers can go into the pen early again. Can go in in the second inning, and yeah. even if they somehow win, then you got to pitch a game seven with everybody's arms about to fall off. Yeah, well, I'd get them all to throw the other arm. The flip side. Game. The flip side is though, if I'm Houston, 
I'm thinking that tomorrow is my chance to win with Verlander on the mound. I don't love my chances after the Verlander's the guy that you want out there. He's been perfect when he's been with the the Astros since they got him. And I, you know, I when he's on the mound, if he gets beat up or if they knock him out, if they don't win that game, I like my chances a lot less in a game seven. But anyway, we shall see. Yeah, for those who will stay up. Be way better if this game was on in the afternoon to be able to see this. I'm gonna get you to call me in the ninth. Yeah, that's right. It may be at two in the morning. Your Sues will love that when I call the number at two in the morning. Hey Don, wake up. They're going into extras. <laughs> It'll be the last time Don Robertson's ever allowed to come on this show. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Uh, Don, on the weekend, yesterday in fact, the Chicago Bears were playing an NFL game, and anyone who saw the, I hate to use the word highlight of this, it's really one of the most uncomfortable cringe-worthy things I've seen in a long, long time. You see injuries in sports. A guy named Zach Miller catches a pass that was looked like it was going to be a touchdown. They ruled that it wasn't, which kind of stinks for the guy. His career is probably over. They don't even give him the touchdown. But when he lands, his knee buckled, so it bent the wrong way. So he basically looked like an ostrich. Didn't hyperextend it. No, it was way beyond hyperextending it. Like it was bent almost ninety degrees forwards from the from the knee for I mean it was just it as I say it is so horrible to, to even see a still photo of it um doctors did emergency urgent surgery on him last night to try and save his leg it was that bad because he he damaged the artery that runs behind the knee cuz he stretched it and maybe oh. tore it and they're not sure they're going to be able to save his leg where everyone's hoping they are but the question this raised we talk a lot about concussions we talk about other injuries do you think that because we watch so much TV, so much sports on TV, which is not, it doesn't give the same perspective as live and the same perspective as the size and the speed of everything. Do you think we we forget how much danger a lot of the athletes put themselves in day after day in every single sport? Football, of course, but in every sport, do we? Do you think we lose sight of that until you see something like this and go, oh? I think we do, and I, th- I think I think I know why, or at least have an opinion on why. The guys that do it are so good at it. <clears throat> if you ever put yourself in those positions, like when you're down at ice level at an NHL game, or you're close to the field at a Ticat game or an NFL game, you get a far greater appreciation. I'm sure courtside at the NBA, like how how the NBA guys' ankles don't crumble. Mm-hmm. the way they land sometimes or catch a guy in the way down and so on. But these athletes are so good at it that they they actually move in a split second to avoid what would normally be, for a guy like me and you, a catastrophe. Like if you watch how fast it is, you go, how do they not get hurt? Like you think of the speed. Some of these guys playing in the NHL are going 30 miles an hour. Some of these guys are playing. But you can't tell that on TV. It doesn't look that no, fast. No, you can't. Until you're there. And even, you know what, when I go to a Bulldogs game or a hockey game in general and sit up in the press box. every you don't once get appreciation in a while, for it. Every couple of weeks, I make a point of going and spending half a period or a period down at ice level yeah. just to be reminded because it's a completely, you, you forget how fast everything is. Put it in perspective. And that's just the OHL level. Yes. That's just you know, one of the things to me that shocked me. I was at the McMaster football game on the weekend. McMa- most of the guys playing in this in the U Sports Canadian University football, they are nothing 
size-wise remotely compared to the guys playing in the NFL. Not even remotely close. The guys in the NFL are... It's bizarre that you can find that many people that are that big and also that athletic. I mean, the receivers, most of the receivers are 6'4 and 220, 230 and muscular. And fast. And fast. And I'm standing down ready to go upstairs at the Mac game, and the guys are walking by. These are the small football players, quote, quote, and they're huge. And you lose sight of, so that's that level of football. Then you go to the NCAA, then you go to the CFL, then you go to the NFL. These are enormous, enormous people. That are athletic. That are athletic, that are moving fast, that are playing with bad intentions, right? They want, they don't want to tap you when they go down. They want to crush you when, you go, when they take yeah, you down. The, 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 plan, the plan is to make, let them know who hit you. You see some of the catches at, at all levels. You see more spectacular in the NFL because their vertical leap is unbelievable. I swear some of them could jump over top of the goalposts and still make a catch, right? And they have Velcro growing on the palm of their hands. Yeah. Well, I hope, hope it's just on the gloves. Some of them, I think, actually have it on their hands. There's hair Maybe. there. In any event, the uh, but when the, when the guys hit them and they come down and land on their shoulder blades and they get they bounce up and go back to the huddle or their elbows they land right on their el- point of their elbow if you ever done that it's oh. like wait that hurts like a lot if that happened to 95% of the people in the world they would i mean they'd need a wheelchair to get off the to go to the next game i mean i and this happens in a split second i'm not trying to mythologize athletes but it does strike me that when you see injuries like this you see the one that happened to uh, what's his name now in the for the Boston Celtics on opening night where he snapped his leg and it was pointing in the wrong yeah. direction? You see these things happen and you you we forget very often. I think if it's not concussions now, if it's not head injuries, we forget that they're you know that that seems to be the only injury. These guys are there, there's a lot of risk on every single play that they can get That's, hurt. Those and, are catastrophic injuries. I I can speak not that anybody cares from personal standpoint. I dislocated my foot. Now you can. Like my ankle, my ankle dislocated, my foot dislocated from the bottom of my leg. So then I've cast for 10 months and you look down and you go, I don't know why I didn't cry. I looked down and I went, oh, that's not good. Yeah. So these guys, so, so I live with that for the rest of my life. I walk with a limp. These guys, some of these guys, they get back up. I mean, it may not be that bad, but then you'll see, you watch that, oh, the, the guy, from, he might be done forever. But some of these injuries, these guys, that guy from Boston, Celtics, he'll play again. What they can do with people now and put them back together again versus in 1924 when I got hurt. But some of these guys that get injuries, it's amazing how they come back and how fast they come back. Like they should be crippled. There is no – it's hard a lot of the time with the way the money is in sports. It's hard to defend the salaries that athletes get. And not many people are going to. I mean, it is out of whack with yeah, doctors and lawyers and whoever else you want to talk about. It is definitely out of whack for a a guy who's doing operations on brains to save people from brain tumors to make three or four hundred thousand dollars a year, and a guy like Clayton Kershaw pitching to make thirty million dollars a year. That that's you can't you can't defend that in a certain way. You can't say somehow that well, makes sense. It doesn't make any sense. It's it's the free market. That's what makes sense, but. It doesn't make sense. But then, you know, to some degree, not with those extreme amounts, but with the risk that these guys are putting themselves in, there does have to be some 
Oh, some boy. amount that they get paid as danger pay. And I, I don't I, think there's a whole lot of baseball pitchers and a whole lot of, unless they get a, drive, a line drive back up through the middle. But There have been some, look, baseball has had some yeah. horrible injuries too. And, and one, of the, one of the, if you can still find it online, one of the great things I ever saw from a sports writer, you know, as, as a sports writer, there was a guy for the Kansas City newspaper and in a playoff game a few years ago, Kansas, I think it was a playoff game, maybe it was regular season, anyway, bottom of the ninth, Kansas City is either tied or down by one. They need a run. The bases are loaded, and the pitcher, throwing to the Kansas City batter, throws one inside. The Kansas City batter gets out of the way of it. And the writer says, you need a run. Take the pitch in the ribs, and you win the game. Well, a few of, so the writer after the game, he goes home, I guess, and he's sitting there thinking, he goes, you know, if I'm going to say that, I should probably find out what that feels like. <laughs> so the next day, he asked the team, and they took him down into the underground batting cage, set the machine to throw 95, and he stood there and took a fastball just above his hip on the on his meaty, fleshy part of his side. He never wrote that again. Because he, the next day they showed it, and Don, it was a bruise, a purple bruise the size of a volleyball on his side. There are two stories there, one of which would tell you how smart some sports writers are. Although he was more respected by the team after that, i got to tell you, than yeah, anyone no, else. No, that's it. right. He said, I'll walk a day in your shoes and see what it's like. And the players who were all standing around watching thought this was the greatest thing they'd ever yeah. seen in their life. They're saying, wait till tomorrow, you're really going <laughs> to like it. But the point is, there is an element that I'm willing to cut some slack for some of the money they make. Well, you know, again, if we're talking about, I'm not talking about the guys making $20 million a year. I'm saying if you're going to put your life at risk for our entertainment, I'm okay with you making more money than some people are going to make. I, I have a trouble with the 20 to $30 million well, a here, year. Put this in perspective. The uh, And everybody may not as, be as big a fan of uh, Justin Trudeau as um, Stephen Harper is, but... The lowest paid Toronto Maple Leaf makes double what the Prime Minister of Canada makes. The lowest paid Toronto Maple Leaf. That is a little bit hard to put into perspective. It is. It is. Without being without judging the job of any Prime Minister. It is. Again, it's the free market. It's what, what they have negotiated, what they're able to get. If they weren't able to get it, they wouldn't get it. I don't look, as I say, I don't love looking at player salaries and seeing the numbers that I see, I think it's ridiculous more often than not. But if you're making $300,000 a year, which is still a lot of money, it's a lot of money and it's a very little bit of money for most pro athletes now, but your job requires you to throw your body and your bare face in front of a slap shot and hope that it doesn't hit you in the mouth. Well, if you if you think about the guy that's making nine hundred thousand dollars, and you and you think here's what I bargained for, here's what I didn't bargain for, that guy that's you know making basically the NHL minimum is making nine hundred thousand dollars a year. He is very much appreciative of the other job he would have if he wasn't making nine hundred US and flying around on private jets. Yep. yep. Nope. So they're all blessed. Oh, for sure. Some it's just obscene. For sure. And I agree with you. The obscene is a good word. It's indefensible is a good word. But to get back to the point, I'm, I'm based on the danger that some of these guys put themselves in. I'm willing to say, you know, I'm okay with you making a little more than the average person. Is it, is what they make reasonable relative to that? You can make that case that it's not, but I'm, I'm, 
I'm okay with them making a little bit more because some of the stuff they have to do. And when you look at an injury like this, and you realize you might have this guy may have lost his leg. Yeah, but that's okay. But 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 you can fix that, and we're, and we're not going to fix. You that. You can always. fix his leg. No. <laughs> not but if you, it's off. No, you can you can patch it up, but you can fix that because you can say, okay, here's what you're playing for, and if you get a, a, a career-ending injury, here's what we're now going to pay you. We're now going to pay you for the risk. So we're not going to let you make $3 million a year. We're going to let you make $500 million a year. But if you blow your 500, knee 500000 500 million. I think a lot of guys would say, okay. 500,000. But if you, if you blow your knee out like this, this, this guy did in the football game and it goes backwards. We'll give you 10 million bucks to get on with your life. Or we're giving you five, we're giving you, uh, 500,000 or $5 million for the rest of your life. Right to put it back into perspective, to put the risk management in place, because some of these guys, if you do that early in your career, you might be out of a lot of cash. Yeah, it's you know what, Don. We may the way things are. Well, the way things are going, you look at the stands at the NFL games these days. And that's a whole different topic. But you look at ratings, you look at the fraction fracturing of TV markets and everything else. We may be at the peak right now, or close to it, of what players can make. We may be starting to see at some point the amount start going back down, and whether we start heading towards something like you're talking about, I don't know. But I, I'm I'm not convinced that the rising salaries go on forever. And you look at Connor McDavid, and he's worth every cent he's getting paid and everything else. And people just love buying his sweaters with his name on his back. They don't reason. But what about the guy who's number twenty three in the roster? I don't mean on the back of a shirt. I mean the twenty third guy is getting two minutes a game. I'm not so sure. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Now, some of you may have heard, uh, may have read, may have heard about it, may have seen some coverage about it, that Bernie Sanders was in Toronto on the weekend talking about health care. Bernie Sanders, of course, yes, the Bernie Sanders, the guy who ran against Hillary Clinton, the senator from Vermont, the socialist guru, the man who uh, wanted to be president and is a hero to many on the Far left, I guess, is a fair way to describe it. And during his visit, he gave a speech, I believe, at University of Toronto and did a bunch of other things. And he was touring around with, at one point, with um, with Kathleen Wynne, the Premier of Ontario. And they went to Women's College Hospital. And while they were in Women's College Hospital, they were talking to a patient who was lying in the bed. And one of the comments, when, they, when the... It, issues facing the woman who was lying in bed and getting good treatment, presumably. I mean, no no question that she may have been being very well looked after, I hope. But Bernie Sanders had a very, very interesting comment. He was quoted, direct quote in the paper. Uh, You can read this in the spec. It's online right now. You can find it. His comment as he's talking to this woman who is lying there is, she's getting treatment for free, he asked, to nods of affirmation from those around. Let me repeat that. She's getting treatment for free? Hmm. We have free health care. That's what everyone says, right? We have free health care. That's repeated often by people. Well, I didn't know that our health care was free, to be honest with you. Uh, let me bring in someone who may have a word or two to say about this. Bacchus Barua is the Associate Director of Health Policy Studies at the Fraser Institute. Earlier this year, he put out a paper called The Price of Public Health Care insurance in 2017. Uh, he joins me now. Brock, thanks for doing this today. Good evening. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, is our health care free? 
You know, it's uh, it's probably one of the most uh, common misperceptions um, of our system. You know, I, I think everybody knows that healthcare, we're spending a lot of money on healthcare. You know, in fact, uh, the latest estimate by the Canadian Institute of Health Information was that it um, adds up to over $200 billion on healthcare. That's, that's nowhere near free. The thing, however, is that the majority of this we do not see because we pay for it through our taxes. And once we start to try and tabulate that, because we don't have anything like a direct health care tax or anything, um, we actually estimate that the average family of four probably actually paid about $12,500 for health care, uh, for just public health care um, last year, whereas the average individual paid about $4,500 for health care. Is that high? Is that low? That's up to Canadians. But for certain, it's nowhere anywhere close to being free. But we hear, and maybe you do too, I certainly, over the years, I've heard it so many times, we hear people say, we have free health care. And it, either it's a misspeak, which could be, or I tend to believe there are people who are actually starting to believe the idea that somehow health care is free. They've convinced themselves that we don't really pay for this because you go to the hospital and you just show your card and boom, you get your treatment. Well, really what it is, is it's, it's two things. Um, the first is Canada doesn't have any form of what, what's called cost sharing, where patients are expected to pay in the, a share of the cost of their treatment. And the other is that there's a, there's a very, um, it's very murky in terms of the taxes because we have no direct way of measuring it. And therefore, I think a lot of Canadians tend to think about the amount that we pay for healthcare as, you know, it's just a couple of dollars here and there that go through our taxes that, you know, kind of go into the system. But once people start understanding that, well, it's actually about $4,500 for an individual, once it's actually about $12,500 for a family, I think that equation about, well, that's actually how much we're paying and our standards for what we're receiving changes quite a lot. The thing about cost sharing is actually very, very interesting because, you know, there, there are actually a lot of things that, um, that I think uh, Senator Sanders is, is, is doing a poor job of um, in his speeches. And, and one of them is the idea that a lack of cost sharing has anything to do with universal health care. Um, there are, in fact, many countries around the world um, that have cost sharing um, as a standard part of their universal health care system. It's a standard feature. It's something that most other countries with universal health care have understood actually helps the universal health care system. How? How would it help? So there, one of the things that it does is it actually provides a signal in terms of the fact that this is a scarce resource that needs to be used responsibly. In Canada, we have a system where, you know, essentially to a patient, um, there is no difference to them in terms of how much they're paying, whether they see their family doctor or they go to the ER. Now, what that does is when you add that together with the fact that, you know, the average time to see a specialist is almost 10 weeks, the, uh, the average time to actually get treatment is 20 weeks, for a patient, it actually makes a lot of sense for them to go to the ER. But most of these other countries understand that expecting patients to pay a small portion of their costs helps people understand that these are scarce resources to be used responsibly, and all of them have exemptions for people who are uh, financially vulnerable, for people who have chronic illnesses, but everybody else shares in the cost of their treatment as a standard feature of universal health care. And would this be based in these other places? Is it based on income? Because it would seem to be unfair. Let's, let's say the amount chosen was... For the average person, $100. If you go to emergency, it's a $100 fee. I don't know if that's a good number or a bad number, but let's just throw it out there. But if I make $50 million a year, that's not as significant as if I make $30,000 a year. So is it based on anything or is it just a flat fee in these other places? 
Well, it depends on the the country you're looking at. And I think this is, again, you know, just, just to go back a little, a little bit to how uh, Senator Sanders is framing the debate, you know, it, it keeps on going back to this thing of Canada versus the United States or co-payments versus no co-payments. And what gets lost is there are at least 27 other countries with universal health care that all do universal health care in a variety of different ways, and a lot of them doing a lot better. But, you know, going back to the cost-sharing uh, example, in, for example, in the Netherlands, you have generally a, a deductible, which is about $500 on average, but different patients can choose different forms of deductibles that they would like to, they would like to take on depending on their health. Um, and importantly, if somebody is below a certain income level, they're given an exemption. Um, pregnant mothers are often given an exemption. They understand that you know most of these other countries, France, Sweden, Switzerland, all of them have, have some form of co-payment. They, they understand that these are things that are meant to be in place for people who can and should be paying for this. And people who cannot be paying uh, co-payments are exempt from them. It's 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 all this you know uh, wide variety of things in the middle. But what's important for us to understand is that in Canada we have this massive aversion to even starting this conversation. We have this aversion to thinking about private healthcare as a part of a universal healthcare system. When again, it's a common feature of most universal healthcare systems. It works together. We have an aversion to thinking about um, hospitals being paid according to activity instead of global budgets, which we find in Canada, again, a standard feature of most other universal healthcare systems. And what's really important is that these other systems are spending about the same as Canada does, but a lot of them have a lot of more doctors, they have more beds, and they have much shorter wait times than Canada does. Um, so putting it into this you know, polarizing sort of issue where it's Canada versus the United States, uh, universal, single-peer versus completely non-universal, uh, really does a massive disservice to uh, the general idea that we're all trying to get better health care. You touched on this a second ago, and I want to read a line that you wrote in your uh, report this year. It says, and this is your words, or whoever wrote this with you, one reason why Canadians don't know the true cost of health care is because the physician and hospital services that are covered by tax-funded health care insurance are free at the point of use. This situation leads many people to grossly underestimate the true cost of health care. That, to me, is a really interesting point, because I don't recall ever in the times I've ever gone to a doctor or used emergency or anything else, getting even, not a bill, because obviously we're not going to pay a bill, but even getting paperwork at the end saying, by the way, if you had had to pay for this, if you had been required to pay for this, this is how much it would have cost. Would that be helpful if people actually saw what they would have been able to or would have been required to pay? I, I think, yes. I, I think the the general idea of, that you know people need to understand that again these are scarce and expensive needs expensive resources that need to be used responsibly is is important but even further than that you know we need to understand that that would only help in situations where somebody's actually using the healthcare system so somebody who isn't but is still paying that same four and a half thousand dollars for healthcare through their taxes would still be unaware of the the amount they're paying um it's just vitally important for us to you know, get away from this notion uh, where we think that ca- uh, healthcare in Canada is free. I think once Canadians understand that they're paying four and a half thousand dollars for an individual, twelve and a half thousand dollars for a family, then the fact that we rank, you know, uh, you know, uh, I think it's twenty fourth out of twenty nine when it comes to physicians uh, per capita. The fact that we have the lowest number of acute, acute care beds per capita. The fact that we are always at the bottom of the list when it comes to wait times. That will start to resonate a lot more when it comes to thinking about we're paying a lot of money 
We have fewer resources than the average OECD country, and we have the longest wait times uh, in general. What's going on? Why do we have this imbalance in this equation? But we cannot have that discussion so long as we keep thinking that healthcare in Canada is free. But we are having some discussions about this. I'm, I'm looking on the, the Hamilton Spectator website today. They're right beside the story about Bernie Sanders, almost, is a story talking about a cancer patient. The headline is, um, Cancer Patient Deteriorates for Hours in Chaotic Hamilton Emergency Room Hallways. Uh, another story on the website is about two families that are suing St. Joseph's Hospital because their loved ones committed suicide under watch of the hospital. Uh, there's a third one on there on the website that talks about how Hamilton's hospitals are overstuffed at flu season. They can't deal with the influx of people. You put all these things together, and I realize these don't paint a complete picture, but this doesn't sound like a system that is just humming along. No, you know, I mean, all of this is really coming around to uh, the, the wait time issue that has become a hallmark of Canada's healthcare system. Um, the last time we measured wait times uh, between referral to treatment, it was 20 weeks. Uh, and to give you some context, in 1993, when we started doing a national estimate, it was only 9.3 weeks. That means that the wait time, on average, has actually more than doubled um, since 1993. This is a serious issue, and we forget that these wait times can and often do have serious consequences for patients. There are patients who may not be able to work. There are patients who may be constantly in pain. There may be patients who have their situation go from something that's minor and treatable to something that's actually quite serious. And what we forget is that there are a lot of these other countries out there that are spending similar amounts that do a far better job when it comes to wait times. Um, And most of these other countries have some form of a private parallel system, either working as a partner with the government or working as a pressure valve to uh, help ease the strain on the public system. They generally have cost sharing and co-payments. They generally fund their hospitals uh, differently. But so long as we keep going to this debate, you know, the, the way that Senator Sanders is conflating universal health care with single payer, the way that he's talking about Canada's health care system as being free, boiling it down to Canada versus the United States, it does a massive disservice to the debate because we need to be talking about specific policy rather than making these broad, generalized, and often inaccurate statements. So why do you think it is that we are unwilling or not wanting to have this discussion? Because I think you're right. I think we most people don't want to delve into this, but why is that? Well, it's easy to just look across the board and say, at least we're better than them, <laughs> so we need to stick with our system. And okay. You know, this is really pointed to, that there's a, there's a great study done by the Commonwealth Fund in the United States, which is, to my knowledge, not an actual great fan of the United States, but in that, in that analysis of 11 countries, um, 10 of which they called with universal health care, the United States was indeed ranked 11th, but Canada was ranked 10th. Why are people talking about rank 10 versus rank 11? We should be talking about what are the best countries in the world and trying to figure out what they're doing differently. You mentioned a moment ago that we don't have a designated uh, tax. We don't have a designated health tax. When we fill out our income tax at the end of the year, it's not anything in there that is money going directly. It all goes sort of into a into our general tax fund. Now, I assume that's on purpose by the government because they don't want to identify how much money is actually going into this. But would that would that change things? If when you finished your taxes, if you got something back that showed people every year how much money I'm actually paying into this? 
Well, you know, I think it would lend itself to some transparency. Um, unfortunately, we have situations when, in Canada where we actually have um, the worst of both situations, like uh, in, in, in provinces where there's a so-called, you know, medical services payment plan, like in BC, where it seems as though that's the amount that, that you're actually paying for your, for healthcare, but it's actually only a fraction of how much you're paying through the taxes, because as you said, it all goes into a generalized fund, and that actually goes into to paying for the healthcare system. But so long as, you know, we do our best by trying to help Canadians understand how much average individuals are paying, how much um, uh, average families are paying. Um, and I I think and I strongly do believe that Canadians are, are starting to get a much better understanding of how much they're paying for healthcare. They're starting to get a better understanding of the fact that we have a lower physician per capita ratio, too few beds. Everybody understands and knows very, very well that we have some of the longest wait times in the world. Um, and, and I have faith that, that most Canadians understand that there is an imbalance over here, that single-payer is not the same thing as universal health care. It is only one of the ways of doing universal health care. Um, and, you know, perhaps Senator Sanders' talk will work on some, some people in the United States and uh, some defend, defenders of the status quo over here. But I think, you know, we're, we're an age where information is abundant, um, and we are well aware now that there are at least... 27 other countries with universal health care, many of which are doing a better job. And all of us want the same thing, which is better access to timely care, um, regardless of the ability to pay. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean single payer or government health care. Just a minute or two left here, but it, based now on, and, and with your report and what it's been getting out and people you say have been hearing about this, if when people now know what healthcare is actually costing them. It's not free, and they are contributing through their taxes, and in some cases, they're contributing a lot through their taxes. Do you think most people, do you get the sense that most people in this country, given the choice, would continue to pay, or would they look at the American system, which, again, is spoken in almost evil terms as being your choice? Do you think if given the choice, most people would look, or many people would look at that and say, you know, that's not a bad idea? Well, you know, I, I can't answer that because that's really something that only individuals Canadians can answer. What I can say is that there are a lot of Canadians who actually travel outside Canada's borders to receive healthcare, um, and that actually speaks quite a lot about our own healthcare system. What is it that would drive people to leave the borders of their own country to receive healthcare? And a lot of the time, the short and simple answer is the long wait times that they face over here. Uh, we have to remember that, um, I, I forget which, um, I think it was Beverly McLaughlin of the Supreme Court of Canada who stated that um, access to a waiting list is not access to health care. Um, just because you're guaranteed a place on the waiting list, the fact that you may still have to wait a year or more for a hip is not the same thing as actually receiving a hip uh, when you need it most. Bacchus Barua, the Associate Director of Health Policy Studies at Fraser Institute. I really appreciate the time today. Thanks for doing this. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show. It's a, look, what we're talking about is not to dump on the Canadian system. It's not to dump on the Canadian system. There are many great things about the Canadian system. But when you hear so often, and I don't know if you've heard this. I've certainly heard it many, many times when you hear so often people say, oh, yes, we have free health care. And Bernie Sanders comes up here and says, oh, you're getting this for free? It, no, it's not for free. And if we're, not, if we're paying for it, if it's not free, if we're paying for it, I think we're allowed to have expectations. I think that's, that goes with putting money, a lot of money, towards something. We're allowed to expect that things are going to be done well. You know, the, the idea of free... I was talking to someone today and I said, you know, 
thinking that our healthcare system is free because when you go to the hospital, you don't have to pay, you don't have to write a check, you don't have to give your credit card, you just show your card. That's kind of like going on an all-inclusive vacation that you've paid for months before, but by the time you get there now and you want to get a drink, you just go up to the bar and say, okay, give me a drink. Yeah, it's free then, but you still paid for it. Is it really free then? It's included. It's it's covers all situations. And that's a good thing that in the Canadian healthcare system that if you have cancer or a broken leg or need stitches or have a flu or whatever else or a, need a shot, you can go and get those. Those are good things. But again, I don't think it's unreasonable to look at the Canadian healthcare system and say, we are paying a lot of money. We are paying a lot of money into the healthcare system. Are we getting it? Are we getting our money's worth? Or, or as Brock, as he said, are there other ways we could look at? We seem to be unwilling to want to explore these things, but are there other countries that maybe do it better? Should we, at the end of a hospital visit, get a piece of paper that shows what your treatment would have cost? Would that make people aware and say, huh, I'm not sure that, I don't know if that would. Should we require someone to pay $100 or $200 unless you're impoverished to go to the hospital? Some people would say, well, then people won't go and they'll get more sick and die. Maybe. Should we separately categorize on our income tax what you're putting towards health care so you're aware? Maybe. Although that could cause people to go to hospital more. Hey, if I'm paying 12000 bucks every time I get a hangnail, I'm getting world-class treatment. I don't know what the answer is, but I just I think it's a reasonable thing to wonder whether or not we should be having this discussion. And whether or not we can actually make it better than it is. But unlike what Bernie Sanders said, it is not free. Our health care is not free. Included, we're covered, but you've paid for it. It's not free. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.